I think there's another pandemic going around. Oh no, what is it? Legends of Tennis retiring in 2022. And welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Josefina and Shravya. Shravya and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Josefina and I are a high school and college gal duo and two tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the female Gen Z voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for. So we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. We're back with another episode of Hold On To Your Racket, and um, we're leading off of a pretty exciting past episode, so if you haven't listened to our interview with um, Blair Henley, that was a phenomenal episode to record, and hopefully it would be a phenomenal episode for you to listen to, but since then, Shravi and I have been up to some exciting stuff especially Shravya considering the tennis world I mostly have been binging big time rush on Netflix I will not lie I will not lie it's a guilty pleasure that's that's a good one um yeah well I got to go to the National Bank Open for a couple days in Toronto to see some WTA action which was all very fun. Um, but there had to have been one particular match that was the most important, which was Serena Williams' last ever match in Canada um, against Belinda Benjic. I got to watch that. And just a lot of emotions, obviously. This is coming off the heels of the news that she will be retiring from tennis. And we want to take some time to unpack that because... I think for a lot of generations of tennis fans, she's meant something very special. And for us, she was always a player that we grew up being like, she is the GOAT. The best. From the onset. Yeah. Right? So she announced her retirement just a couple days ago in her Vogue article titled, Serena Williams says farewell to tennis on her own terms and in her own words. So this was a very touching and emotional article, but honestly... Probably the most poignant and heartfelt farewell that she could have um, made to the sport. There was a lot to... I really recommend reading it. It, I cried while reading it. Josefina has photographic evidence. Um, And there's just so many layers to it. Like, I could totally see someone in, like, five years. Not even five years. Like using that article as like a primary source document in some history class because there was so much to like unpack there in terms of um, gender and sport and race and um, just the mental health aspect of being a professional athlete. Um, Just so much to talk about and she really covered all the bases and it was so wonderful to see Serena being so candid and vulnerable, which we rarely, we always see her being candid, but when she really opens up and is that vulnerable to us, um, it's definitely not something we see often, but you could feel it. Yeah. And um, what she initially said about the idea of retirement, just a quote from the article is, uh, 
I've been reluctant to admit that I have to move on from playing tennis. It's like a taboo topic. It comes up and I start to cry. I think the only person I've really gone there with is my therapist. And I just, I thought it was interesting that usually when you think of um, talking about something with a therapist, it's, it's a serious issue that you don't want to discuss with other people. It's very personal. And that's the thing that retirement because we've seen this as kind of a theme throughout the year, especially with uh, Barty's retirement as well. Like retirement is a personal thing. It's It doesn't have to do with what fans want from you. You have to, like, it's the moment you start thinking about yourself and what you need moving on in life. So, yeah. Yeah. And just about that, like thinking about what yourself and what you need, she starts the article right away by discussing Olympia and her daughter. And she talks about how Olympia is always talking about how she wants to be an older sister and particularly about how badly she wants a baby sister. And Serena like, writes about how sometimes Olympia says this stuff when she thinks that Serena is not listening, but a lot of the times she does say it when her mom is listening. So that's kind of the crux of this whole piece that she wrote. And I think the whole sort of struggle she's been having in terms of recognizing that she's at this personal transition point um because she right away starts talking about the idea of having a family and about being a woman and she says believe me I never wanted to have to choose between tennis and a family I don't think it's fair if I were a guy, I wouldn't be writing this because I'd be out there playing and winning while my wife was doing the physical labor of expanding our family. And before I continue, I just want to underscore the part about physical labor because we saw how much Serena went through both mentally and physically over the course of her pregnancy. First of all, the fact that she won that Australian Open while pregnant, but also the her struggle with the pulmonary embolism and the um, health major health scare she had um while giving birth to olympia like that's a big deal um then serena continued don't get me wrong i love being a woman and i loved every second of being pregnant with olympia but i'm turning 41 this month and something's got to give yeah i mean i didn't even (laughs) when she said i'm turning 41 this month i was like wait really i fully did not i did not know that she and federer were the same age i always thought serena was younger like yeah right i always well that's just because i think that Federer is a grandpa yeah that's true so no i feel like that but that's the thing that serena is the goat like male or female tennis side yeah because she's just been more consistent for a longer period of time that's that's it that's it but anyways this is not a goat debate we're talking about serena and her decision to retire and yeah i think the fact that she brought up um, how her being a woman plays a major role in this, that is very accurate. I mean, look at Nadal. His wife is having a baby, and he can still be out there winning. The only thing that's stopping him is his injury, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Serena continued and kind of... um, So, again, basically this whole thing about the family is how she opens up her peace and the struggle gender identity all of that which i thought was really interesting and honestly something i'd never seen put so perfectly into words 
like she did. I think she really put like wrote it out well. At some point, she even wrote like, "If I were a guy, I could be like Tom Brady right now, like still going, like with a family, but still out there." How many pushing, kids but... does that guy have? I like a lot. <laughs> we're not. We're not. Yeah, I really people. don't so know a lot really about it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but basically, like she's really you know, laying the field out right away about what the, what her struggle has been these past couple of years, trying to figure it out, how to juggle everything. And she said she doesn't like the word retirement. She said, maybe the best word to describe what I'm up to is evolution. Um, and then went on to mention her venture capital firm and of course her desire to grow her family. So it's again, sort of, again, they have different attitudes toward retirement for sure. But sort of in the same way that Ash Barty was like, I feel ready to move on to another phase of my life. I think Serena now too, even though it's a different level of happiness with being in this place of retirement, is looking ahead to what she feels she needs to transition into. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think um, also another major difference was that Barty, we did not expect at all that was unprecedented and then for, she was at her peak yeah i know that was so just it came out of nowhere really it was one one day to another and then for serena i guess people have been speculating for a little bit it's like the the end is the end of her career is coming it's it's not something we'll be surprised to hear but still even even so the fact that it's actually happening now that still has some element of shock to it for sure but um yeah and then i guess another thing what you were saying about how she put everything into words so well i think it's like that was an especially hard task for her because the only side we know of her and i guess the only side most of her fans value of her is her tennis career, like her incredibly lucrative tennis career. So to have to explain how for her it's a genuine decision to decide between her career and her family, she has to somewhat explain what family means to her. And I think that that is so hard to do because it feels like it's just kind of this innate thing. So she had to put that into words, and that's so incredibly brave of her, I guess. Yeah, and I think... For many people, they can be like, well, that's not a big deal. Like, look at Roger, look at Tom Brady, look at whoever, look at Tiger Woods. Like, they, What do they have in common? Like, before I keep listing male athletes, I should stop because I don't know enough about all these sports yeah, for me yeah. to know that they're good examples of this particular example. But um, they can be like, look at them. Like, they're all-time greats. They had a family, and they dealt with their personal needs, and they're still out there playing. But... What Serena, as a woman, has to do is explain, like, listen, it's not that easy for me to do that because at the end of the day, I'm the one who has to, A, physically contribute to all of this. Like, (laughs) pregnancy is hard and difficult. She talks about how she played through postpartum depression as well. Um, And that's a whole onus to take on. But also, like, for her to realize personally at this late stage in her career that this is what she wants to devote her time doing, um, you know, she kind of realizes that she can't have both things now if she wants. She can't have, what's the saying, like one foot in each in yeah. each bucket. 
um, she kind of realizes that now. So um, it's really interesting to see her come at this with a gender perspective because that so does frame her um, attitude towards this whole situation because it is inherently different um, for someone, like for a woman period in this position to um, make this career choice especially considering you know what we saw her go through um physically and mentally as she speaks about and as we heard about um kind of following her pregnancy yeah and like really the only thing stopping her here is age i guess because the fact that because she's not like nobody should see this as her not thinking she's able to do something because she literally yeah. had a baby and came back to the tour already. Like she she's yeah. been there, she's she already done that. did it. She yes. she did that. Like you can't like there's literally no way you could drag her down for the decision she's making right now. Right, you can't call her out for quitting. Yeah, cuz because she she's been she through did. it. It's just different now because she's pushing that age and like this the age becomes a factor for, uh, like, birth or for tennis at this point. And she's at this stage in her life where she realizes she loves both, but at this point, looking practically, looking, looking back, further ahead, yeah. it's her family that she wants to focus on. Because whereas, she's focused on her tennis career. Yeah. yeah. Whereas with a guy, you can have that luxury to still keep going a few more years with having both. Yep which is, I think, what she's trying to say. And yeah. which could sound, like, silly or as a cop-out, but I think that, again, the way that she talks about it here, she really sets the facts straight, and it it's obviously totally valid. Like, it, she does a great job of that. In terms of what she feels about retirement and leaving the sport, she said that she wishes she could feel the sense of happiness and relief with retirement that... Um, Ash Barty did, for example. She named uh, Ash Barty, Carolyn Wozniacki as a few examples, but that she really doesn't. She said, there is no happiness in this topic for me. I feel a great deal of pain. And this is the same sense of vulnerability that we were talking about before that we um, really felt from Serena here. And she sort of talked about what she loved most about tennis, um, and she highlighted the performance aspect of the sport, kind of getting to entertain people, and that being something that she'll really miss. And she also took time to um, address the 24 Grand Slam record um, and really put that, um, put that thing to bed. Um, yeah, so what she said was, I'd be lying if I said I didn't want that record. Obviously, I do. But day to day, I'm really not thinking about her, as in Margaret Court. If I'm in a Grand Slam final, then yes, I am thinking about that record. Maybe I thought about it too much, and that didn't help. The way I see it, I should have had 30-plus Grand Slams. I had my chances after coming back from giving birth. I went from a C-section to a second pulmonary embolism to a Grand Slam final. I played while breastfeeding, I played through postpartum depression, but I didn't get there. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. I didn't show up the way I should have or could have, but I showed up 23 times and that's fine. Actually, it's extraordinary, but these days, if I have to choose between building my tennis resume and building my family, I choose the latter. That pretty much sums it up, guys. 
Yeah, this part left me speechless because I, it's this like, ability. So, like, just there. It's just there for you to read yeah. everything. And, yeah, and this is honestly kind of topical, but just the ability, again, like, we see the female athletes being in these positions, um, and just the ability for them to choose, like, is obviously here a very tough decision but just having that authority to choose and her being so steadfast in it and being so open about it and so confident about it but at the same time vulnerable but just her laying out all the facts and exercising her agency is so empowering I think we're talking we're talking a lot about women's choice these days and in a variety of topics um especially in the U.S. right now but this being one of those ways for a woman to, you know, make her own decisions, um, especially even around the idea of, like, womanhood and motherhood, I thought was very empowering because the way that Ash Barty did it was empowering, but this also in a pretty different way, again, because it was two different retirements, um, was, I think, just as inspiring, yeah. if not more. And I can only imagine somebody who really doesn't understand what she's been through, just in general as a mother, I guess, reading this and saying, like, oh, come on, we didn't need to know about, like, the C-section and the breastfeeding. Like, you don't need to talk about that stuff. But that's the thing, that she she does need to talk about it. And it's something that people should talk about more. The fact that the term breastfeeding is seen as, like, inappropriate in most circumstances is ridiculous like it's it's just a thing that happens also because people write it off as being so easy like to just come back from pregnancy like this is hard like the physical toll the mental toll is something that no male athlete will ever have to experience um yeah. and she did it she as she said she showed up 23 times she understands that she had chances to do more and i think that her honesty there hurt a little bit too, reading it as a Serena fan, knowing that, yeah, like, we, we could have gotten there, um, just to shut the haters up about 24, um, but knowing that she understands that, quote-unquote, actually it's extraordinary, um, is a really powerful affirmation. Yeah. And then kind of going deeper into what she thinks of leaving the sport, speaking about her legacy, she said, but I'd like to think that thanks to opportunities afforded to me, women athletes feel that they can be themselves on the court. They can play with aggression and pump their fists. They can be strong yet beautiful. They can wear what they want and say what they want and kick butt and be proud of it all. So I just, I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah. We don't even have to say anything. Oh my god, in a good way though, right? Yeah, like we don't even have to say anything. If that doesn't sink in with you, you are like just a horrible human being. Like this is just so raw and human. I I love it. Yeah. And you can feel how much people are going to miss her. I mean, no wonder why she's playing a full US Open swing. These are the last few times we're going to be able to see her. Um, I mean, speaking just from being in that one match, that her last match in Canada, the crowd was in unwavering support of her. You could feel people wanting to cheer her on for 
all of her shots. So many people came and made signs. Um, there were definitely, like, some sad emotions. She was crying. People in the crowd were crying. Um, and when she was waving goodbye, it was... Well, first, when she came on court, it was chills. Whenever she would hit a winner, like, chills. And then when she was leaving court, it was just, like... You could tell that she didn't want to go either. She was crying and, and you know, waving for a while. And it was just sinking in barely to everyone like these last few tournaments these last few matches are the last time we're ever going to see her um and it's hard to imagine because at least for us and I think for most tennis fans right now we don't know a tennis world without Serena Williams yeah that's accurate I feel like every time she has taken a break or we haven't seen her on tour for a while it's always been with the idea that oh she's going to be back it's fine. She's going to be back soon anyways. So we'll finish it off with the this quote. She said, I'm going to miss that version of me, that girl who played tennis, and I'm going to miss you. As in, hold on to your racket podcast. <laughs> All right, now that we've covered that very um, sad news about Serena, we will check in on some of the tennis action. We've got the National Bank Open, the ATP and WTA Masters 1000 event, um, split across two cities in Canada, formerly the Rogers Cup. Um, But let's start with the ATP. They're playing in Montreal. And are we approaching semifinal stage? Yes, we are. So our first semifinal is set, and that is Hubert Hurtcott versus Casper Ruud. Yeah, so a very pleasant surprise to see Hubie back in a Masters semifinal. He's had a very kind of on and off year. He recently picked it up a little in Halle, but um, either way, this is promising for the up-and-coming hardcore U.S. Open tournament Grand Slam thing. And the U.S. Open swing in general, I guess, because we saw him, we've seen him do well in the heat on hard court before in uh, Miami 2021, I think it was. So this is not entirely a surprise, but good to see that he's picking up this season. And he defeated um, Nick Kyrgios, 7-6-6-7-6-1 in the quarterfinals here. It was a very tight match, but still with these deep runs and big wins, um, Kyrgios is, like, at the height of his hype right now. And Ew. we, yeah, we spoke about this before, the fact that this is happening. When, when is he supposed to go to court again? Very soon, right? It was in August. I'm not sure. Like, I remember, um, I think it was sometime in August, but either way, like, he, he's still thriving on tour. And, of course, here in the second round, Kyrgios actually upset the world number one and the first seed, Daniel Medvedev, adding more useless hype. And he even had a press conference. Um, I saw this on Instagram somewhere. He had a press conference where I think somebody asked him, did you expect to beat Daniel? And he said something in response like, uh, no, I didn't, but I I owed it to myself and to the audience to really show up. And he used the exact words then. He said, 
I think it's really good for the sport when you see two high-level players battling it out. And he kept saying, good for the sport, good for the sport. And I was like, oh my god, you're making it so much worse. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so annoying. We have Zverev off the tour for a bit because of his injury. So we're like, okay, finally we get to hopefully see some tennis without feeling that pain of, you know, seeing someone who is facing some sort of domestic abuse or violence allegations against them on the tour. But here we are, seeing Kyrgios thriving, getting a bunch of hype, as you said. No doubt that he's a talented tennis player, but that's not the point here. There are plenty of talented tennis players that provide entertaining tennis, but are actually good for the sport because they're actually decent people. Um, And it's just so... The most aggravating part of it is just how the tennis media loves to ignore everything else or, like, kind of just, like, brush it under the rug um, about all his allegations. But will, you know, still continue to just, like... (laughs) There's some people on Twitter who have a very funny way of um, describing how they hype Kyrgios up, but it is explicit, so I'm going to tell Josefina that off the record. Um, (laughs) But they just, like... It's just so aggravating. I'm trying to, tr- like, figure out if there's a way I can say it that's not explicit, but there really isn't. It just is it cult, so- cult mentality? Yeah, it's, like, just drooling over him. And I'm just, like, calm down. Like, there's, like, it's just, we don't need to make him our poster boy for tennis. Yeah, we really don't. Yeah. And on the ATB website, whenever you look up players... Like, whichever player is most popular at the time kind of shows up first. Guess who's at the top? It's Kyrgios at the moment. So, um, yeah. And then on the other side of Hubie, here we have Casper Rude, who has been killing yes. it. Yeah, he Literally is Literally the polar awesome. opposite of Nick Kyrgios, the most unproblematic and lovable person on the tour. He is a teddy bear. He is. And, and he's hot. So he is double whammy. White nice to look at, I will say that. But yeah, he has a girlfriend. He has a girlfriend, guys. <laughs> okay, anyways, he has been killing it all year in the Masters. Um he made the Miami final and then the Rome semifinal. And he just had a really strong clay season in general, but it's great to see that he can also pick it up here on the hard courts. But today, um Casper absolutely wiped out Felix in the quarters, six one, six two. Surprised by this score line. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, it either shows that Felix ran out of steam once he got deeper in the rounds, or that Casper was just able to pick it up. So either way, it would either be extremely concerning as a result or very good as a result but either way um I mean I guess Felix made it to the quarters in a Masters like a little mini resurgence at the home tournament maybe Cam Nori as well right Cam Nori Cam Schnori I'm kidding I'm kidding (laughs) 
In yeah, my head, I, Cam Norrie and Dan Evans are the same person. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, no, Cam Norrie is better. Cam that's Norrie true. Is that better. is so true. Actually, I'm I'm really sorry, Cam. I didn't mean it. <laughs> like, Cam and Dan. Cam and Dan. Like, what yeah. is this? You can't get more British than that. Yeah. Actually, I don't know. I'm not British. Jack Draper. Dra- Jack, Jack Draper. Yes, I was going to say. About British people, we like, we stand, we ogle over. Jack Draper um, is currently playing? Yeah, he is. Wait, let me, you keep talking and I'm going to check the score. Okay, so we have PCB or draft date, Jack Draper versus Dan Evans as our next semifinal. So an interesting mix here. So we either are going to get an all-Brit semifinal match or PCB. Versus Dan Evans. This oh my is god! An interesting section of the draw. Yeah, but the current um, Carreño Draper score is unfortunately Carreño winning the first set seven six, and he's winning the second set four one. So well, unless he right. could do something here, unless Draper can do something here. Either way, very impressive from him. Just yeah. Just so let's that celebrate. Yeah, let's celebrate Jack for a bit. He made it through qualies, then defeats Stefano Tsitsipas. Um, he was playing Gael Monfils in his round of 16 match, but did, then Gael did have to retire in the second set after he rolled his ankle, but happy to see Gael back, first tournament back on the tour since May. Um, Jack being the lovely lad that he is, um, walked to, uh, Gael, wait, what did he do? He, oh, he, like, helped, helped Gael walk to a chair. Because, like, oh, Gael couldn't oh, walk oh. at all. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, yes, yes, yes. So he helped Gael walk to his chair to receive medical assistance. So, what a guy. Very sad for Gael, though. I mean, this isn't the way you want to go out in a match. Rolling an ankle is also probably one of the worst things you could do because it seems so silly when you do it, speaking from experience. and then Speaking like, from experience. You <laughs> yeah. cannot play at all. So um, sad. Jack entered 2022 with two ATP tour-level wins under his belt, but this year I feel like we've been seeing his name more and more. The so fact that I'm, we saw we knew his name before this year, though, like for yeah, sure, I know he that took for that sure. Set against Djokovic in the first round of Wimbledon last year, <laughs> and everyone was like, "Oh my God, upset <laughs> alert!" <is> guy? <laughs> and yeah. then they found his modeling photos. Which have circulated the rounds and which can keep circulating the rounds. Yeah. Um, but actually, when I was at the uh, City Open briefly, I saw Jack Draper hitting and practicing, and I was just. Like, Are the rumors wow. true? Like, do the pictures do him justice? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is to very me, good to hear. He's like a British, slightly younger version of Tommy Paul. Okay. We're talking about aesthetic. Okay. 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 So I'm getting beautiful, but beautiful but basic, beautiful yes! but basic, right? Yes. Yes. That's what I'm getting. And okay. like, just like Tommy Paul is like beautiful, basic American. Like, like literally, that, just Jack no complaints. Paper is beautiful, basic British. British. Like Got he it. could be one of the soft boys on Love Island. Is what and he's super young. Guys, so back off. He's for this generation. <laughs> and he's good at tennis. We're here to celebrate his tennis at the end of the day. So and his existence. All in all, 
Yeah. 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 Okay, Pablo Carreño Busta, who is most likely going to be the one who actually is facing Dan Evans in the semifinal. PCB is PCB. I actually laughed out loud when I was in Toronto and these two guys were sitting next to me talking to each other about what was going on in Montreal because they were waiting to uh, get a seat at a court, just checking the scores. And they were like, oh, Berrettini got crushed by Mr. Solid. And I don't know why, but I thought it was so funny that they referred to PCB as Mr. Solid. Like, I guess that works, right? Yeah, it works. He's solid. I mean, defeating Matteo Berrettini, Holger Rune, and Yannick Sinner. I mean, that's... Okay, Rune, I don't really care about as much, but that's a little rude. Like, Matteo and Yannick, like, that's not very nice. Yeah. So, out of spite, I'm taking it personally. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And then, um, and then we have Dan Evans. So, now that I, uh, (laughs) kind of think about it, Dan Evans and PCB as a master semifinal match would be the most bleh masters semifinal match ever played in history. Like, Dan Evans... And Pablo Carreño Busto. What do you want to happen on that court? Like, I Mr. can't even... Solid. <laughs> Mr. Solid. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, Dan Mr. Solid be... versus Mr. Sturdy. That's Is it. Is he sturdy, though? Who knows? Um, I feel like he Dan... has a pretty low center of gravity. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, <laughs> Mr. Low Center of Gravity got through Rublev, Fritz, and Tommy Paul, who has had an incredible tournament. He beat Tommy in three sets, coming back from a breadstick in the first set. And Tommy Paul actually upset Carlos Alcaraz in round two, so great from him. Alcaraz is now 3-3 three and three in his past six matches, so he is still, I, you know, he mentioned this in one of his Instagram captions, that he's... This was the first time he really wasn't able to handle the pressure. So, I don't think it's anything to be concerned about. Um, it's just, you know, he'd been doing on a hot streak for so long. Obviously, there's going to be some wobbles in between. So, I don't think it's anything to be concerned about. We'll see how he does in Cincinnati. Um, but then, obviously, U.S. Open last year was where he made his flash. Yeah, that's where he so, kind of broke through. Yeah, so, so we'll it see It hasn't even been like a year. year. Yeah, and it hasn't even been a year, and he's accomplished, like, an insane amount. So, don't worry for our boy, um, Carlito. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's move on to Toronto. So, the WTA. So, here we have um, Beatriz Haddad Maya, a very familiar name lately, versus either... Pliskova or Zhang. But, um, yeah, so first we have uh, Haddad Maya, and what a season she has been having. I feel like we've talked about her in, like, every episode for the past, like, four or something. But she won back-to-back grass court titles earlier this year, which we spoke about. And then here in Toronto, she defeated the world number one Iga Sviantec, Six four three six seven five, becoming the first Brazilian woman to ever even take a set off of a world number one since nineteen 
84. So amazing for her, but also Iga. What's going on? But, um, yeah, about Iga, she is now 3-3 three and three since her 37-match win streak was snapped. But I suppose it's not a cause for concern because she has the ability to go on a 37-match win streak. So hopefully she's just like, I mean, she's just, you have to, what's it called? There's a saying, like, you have to dip in the valleys to scale the mountain something like that like you gotta go down to be able to go back up yes same with carlos same with iga two young talents they're gonna be totally fine yeah do i was gonna say something but i don't think i'm gonna say it anymore i was gonna ship them but it's okay oh people do people do that on twitter they do ship them they think carlos has a crush on iga i see that i think there was like it's not I'm not going to say it's grounded in evidence, but, like, there was, like, some, like, funny thing where, like, either he DM'd her or, like, was, like, commenting on her post, but, like, she wasn't responding or... I I don't know. It, there was something along those lines. I also don't know if it was, like, clickbait or actually real, but you're not the only one who does that. Yep. Well, in terms of Haddad Maya, um... She just defeated Belinda Benjic to six six three six three, so that's a comeback win right there. And I mean, Beatrice, she has undergone four surgeries in her career. She's only twenty six, so this is quite the resurgence. Definitely feeling the momentum. She's gonna be ranked in the top twenty. Started the year ranked in like the eighties, so this is awesome. Yep. And then we have either Pliskova or Zhang, so the defending finalists at um Toronto or the next gen queen. So Plishkova, so something about her seems to wake up during the US Open swing. We've seen this recently. She defeated Krajcikova, Anisimova and Sakari in this tournament. I feel like I haven't seen Sakari in a while though. Um but that's just another thing. But um she also Plishkova spoke about recently completing a training block with renowned fitness trainer Jez Green, who actually worked with Andy Murray for almost 10 years, and he's currently working with Dominic Tiem. So she said it was life-changing, so perhaps that is paying off. But that seems hardcore. It just... Yeah. That seems hardcore, man. Yeah. But, um, I guess just another just another day of being an athlete but then uh, we have Jinwen Zhang and let's talk about her because we have not talked about her enough for sure and that is definitely on us but she took out Rebecca Marino on Jabour who unfortunately had to retire and Bianca Andrescu so that was a big win it was um seven five five seven six two super um close scoreline and, of course, with the Canadian crowd. So it shows that she can handle the pressure. And I do not doubt that people were booing because that's what tends to happen with a home crowd. And she's only 19. So she's another next-gen queen, man. She is one of those people that we kind of latch on to and we just always have hope for, you know. But she reached the round of 16 at the French Open this year. And she ended 2021 ranked 143. And she is now up to 51 in the world. 
So if that's not success, I don't know what is. Facts. Yeah. She's also really, she's really good. Like, this, like, I watched her actually play, like, any match for the first time a couple days ago, and the hype needs to turn up a little bit more, because she, she's, yeah, she's just really good. Very fun to watch. Definitely a ball basher, but, like, in a good way. (gasps) I love those. Exactly. Um... In terms of our next semifinal, which is set, Jessica Pagula, the seventh seed versus Simona Halep. JPEG, American world number one, highest seed remaining. We really like her. Defeated Asian Muhammad, defending champ Georgie, and Putin Seva on route. Um, so she's bouncing back well after an early exit at the City Open. And the match versus Georgie was pretty tough. 3-6, six, 6-love, six, 7-5. She saved a match point there. So that is pretty um pretty good there um and then for Halep we have her continuing to look impressive this season defeating Beckett, Zhang, Teichman, and Goff 36 and 10 this year only Sviatek and Jabor have more wins than her this season and honestly let's give a shout out to Coco who took out Rybakina and Sabalenka in two tough matches Halep actually said about Coco She's playing nonstop and she's winning nonstop. So that's why you don't feel like she's young anymore. Um, so this was a good sign from Coco. She does need to work on her double faults, though. She had about, like, 15 or 18 double faults in her match versus Sabalenka. So she actually oh, made a TikTok about that. No. She made a TikTok about that, which I thought was funny. But Not doesn't Sabalenka have her own problem with that? Yeah, one of them had 15 double faults, the other one had 18. So, like, it bounced out, but, like, not ideal for either of them. <laughs> um, as far as Halab and Pagula, they've never played each other, so we'll see how this goes. That would be um, an interesting match. This yes, be good. personally, I would like for either Jessica or um, Kin Wen Jing to win this title. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Oh, and Josefina, oh, as far as Plishkova and Kinnaman Jing, they just split sets. Um, they're playing their third set now, but we do have an ATP update. Yeah, um, Paula Perenyabuso won 7-6-6-1 against Jack Drakeover. Um, okay, Mr. Solid. <laughs> no. This is the time to not be solid. This is the time to, what's the opposite of solid? Liquid? Liquid. Mr. Liquid. Thank you so much for joining us, and that is Game, Set, and Match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage of upcoming tennis and, of course, all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore Tennis Pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released as the Cincinnati Open approaches. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Travia. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hold on to your racket until next time. Mm-hmm.